First John chapter number one, the Bible says that which was from the beginning. By the way, if you're a Bible student, you know that that sounds awful lot like you're in the Gospel of John. Uh, the Gospel of John starts the same way about the word of God existing in the beginning with God and he was God and he became flesh and dwelt amongst us. John writes this first letter, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Purpose makes the difference between a crowd in a building and a church. Last week we introduced and reminded uh, ourselves of a purpose statement that we adopted 25 years ago. And we expanded it out and set it together. And we're going to say it together one more time. And the purpose is, let's all... Read it in unison. Our purpose. Let's all in unison together. You ready? Our purpose is to know Christ and make him known in our community through worship, witness, discipleship, and fellowship, and in our world through missions. Or we could just make it real simple and say... Our passion is to know Christ and make him known everywhere. That was the purpose statement that Jesus Christ, that, that uh, this church of Jesus Christ adopted just as a kind of a motto 25 years ago. To know Christ and to make him known. And last Sunday morning, we looked at the first half of that. Our passion is to know Christ. And we're focusing last Sunday and this morning on an interesting, to me anyway, comparison 
of something that was recorded by the Spirit of God through the Apostle John and then explained in the life of the Apostle Paul. And so last week we took the first half of the purpose statement, our purpose is to know Christ. And we looked at that explained in a portion of Scripture that John recorded, and then we looked at that as it was illustrated in the life of the Apostle Paul. We learned last week that our purpose to know Christ means to come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ that permeates our lives. We saw that John recorded a prayer that he listened to Jesus pray as he was walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And as Jesus was walking towards that garden, that late, late night after the upper room meeting with the apostles, Jesus Christ was conversing with the Father about the theme that was most pressing on his heart and mind. And that is the salvation of people all over the world. And he was talking to the Father about that. And in that prayer, Jesus, talking to the Father, defined what eternal life is. Sometimes we think of eternal life as just living, as opposed from being dead. Or we think of eternal life in duration, that it's something that lasts forever. Well, those things are true, but it's more than that. Jesus said... Eternal life is to know God and to know Jesus Christ whom he has sent. To know God is a personal relationship. It's a dynamic union. It's an influence where God and myself become one. And I know God personally intimately, longingly. This is not knowing some facts about a historical figure. This is not believing those facts are true. This is entering into a relationship that's vibrant and real. That's what eternal life is. Eternal life is to enter into a relationship whereby we know God intimately and personally. Now, we saw that illustrated in the Apostle Paul's life when he gave his uh, grand testimony to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 3. And he listed all the truths of his religious experience before his salvation. He was quite the religious guy. I mean, if anyone was religious enough to impress God, Paul was the man. But he said that he had to come to the point in his life where he realized that all that he could do to earn favor with God was just manure. He used the word, you have it in your Bible, dung. And he had to discard all of his goodness and religion because it would not help him get to God, but in fact it was dragging him further away from God. And he had to count what he thought was an asset, he had to count it as a loss that was dragging him down to hell. When did he do that? Well, Philippians chapter 3 says he did that, that he might gain Christ into his life. 
He was born again on the Damascus Road when Jesus Christ entered into a dynamic union, a personal relationship where Paul knew Christ. And then Paul then said, I want to know him personally. I want to know him powerfully and I want to know him painfully. We looked at that last week. It's the, the part of our purpose statement that says, I, my passion is to know Christ. This morning I want us to look at 1 John chapter 1 and see that this, this goes beyond knowing Christ personally. And it enters into the realm where I become a part of a team working in union to make Christ known in other places where I am and around the world, in my community and in the world. I want to make Christ known. And that's what we're going to look at for a few moments this morning. I call this in your little handout the full involvement in eternal life. Last week it was the full experience of eternal life, of being saved. But this morning, the full involvement. What does it mean? What, what, how does this salvation relationship of knowing God impact me for the rest of my life? And 1 John chapter 1 addresses that in an amazing way. Fellowship that is mentioned here in this passage, we, we read that word in verse number 3. That ye may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father. The word fellowship is a key word in the New Testament. We see the word uh, a number of times and places. The word fellowship means, it, it, well, you can just take the simplicity of two fellows in a ship. Uh, if they're both got a, if they both got a paddle in their hand and they're both paddling, then that little visual image does a good job at explaining what a fellowship is. A relationship of fellowship is two people participating together in a common goal, working together to accomplish an agreed-upon task. It's a joint participation in something that they both want to see happen. It's a fellowship. It is two guys, two fellows in a ship, both rowing to get the boat across the lake. And they're working together as a team, to make the goal a reality. And that's what fellowship is in the definition of the Word. Now, how does God use the Word? And what does God say of the Word? Well, let's look at the explanation here in John's record. And you see there's three little, um, or there's a, um, yeah, three little arrows uh, under number one, the explanation from John's record. And here's the explanation. The Fellowship that we're talking about is based upon something. We're talking about a fellowship, and it's based upon a message. Now, John was an apostle. He had spent those years in Jesus Christ's earthly ministry traveling with the apostles. He sat around campfires and sat across the table from Jesus Christ. I mean, he was there with Christ day after day, morning, noon, and night. He knew Jesus Christ well. And he spoke here in verse number 1 of a message that he had seen with his own eyes. What is this message that he saw with his own eyes? Verse number 2 says, For the life was manifested, and we have seen 
explain it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Boy, that, that pulls your mind back to the Gospel of John chapter 1. When John said in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. God the Father, God the Son, in fellowship together, in eternity past. And then he said, and then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The virgin birth of the second member of the triune Godhead became human. And he said while he was here, he, he, he exegeted or he manifested or he told out the person of God. Here, John is talking about that message that he saw. He saw with his own eyes God in a human body. Eternal life, fellowship, union, relationship, coming to earth. And he saw with his own eyes. He reached out and touched. And his hands handled eternal life. He said, this was an amazing experience. And this message that I saw. And then he said, not only was it a message I saw, it was a message I heard. Verse number 1 says, we have heard. Verse number 3 says, that which we have seen and heard. Verse number 5 says, this then is the message which we have heard of him. He sat there and listened to Jesus talk. He listened to God explain things with his own ears. He listened to the message of the words of Jesus Christ. And he listened day after day, week after week, month after month. He saw a message. He heard a message. This Message of the person and the words of Jesus Christ was something that captivated the Apostle John. And he said in verse number 3, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, notice this now, that ye also may have fellowship with us. This message is the foundation upon which Fellowship is based. The Apostle John wrote 1 John about fellowship between human beings in a church family. He said, the message I saw with my eyes and I heard with my ears, I have told you that message so that we could have fellowship together, so that we could become a team together, so that we could have our lives interwoven together, and we would have joint participation, cooperation, fellowship with us, based upon a message of the person and the words of Jesus Christ. This fellowship that John is talking about, that exists amongst human beings who've been saved and brought together in the union of an organism the Bible calls a church. This fellowship is the essence of our purpose. We are a team advancing a cause. 
We're not individuals showing up for entertainment. We're not checking to see where the best dog and pony show is going to be this weekend and go there. We are a team of people interwoven together in order that we might participate in a purpose. And the foundation of that is the person and words of Jesus Christ. Now, what were the words of Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ came personally to deliver? Well, verse number 5 says, This is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and the Word is not in us. You want to know the summary Of the words of Jesus Christ, the summary of the message of the person and words of Jesus Christ is very simple. God is light. And he cannot enter into a fellowship union with those who are in darkness. And if you say you have not sinned, you're a liar. And you make God a liar because God says for all have sinned. The essence of the words of Jesus Christ is that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And He cannot enter into a union with someone who is a sinner. The Apostle Paul came to grips with that when he realized that all of his religious goodness was merely dragging him to hell. Because he was having confidence in something that couldn't help. So what is the message of Jesus Christ? The message of Jesus Christ is verse number 7. The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. God is light and in Him is no darkness. I am in darkness and in me is no light. And there can be no fellowship. There can be no union. But Jesus came bore our sin upon his own back, went to the cross of Calvary in our place, died as if he were us. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And in the blood of Jesus Christ, we who are in darkness become light and enter into a union, a fellowship, a participation with God. That's The essence of the message of the person and of the words of Jesus Christ. And John said, I came and I brought this message to you. Because this is the message that is the foundation of our church fellowship. Our church fellowship is based upon the salvation made possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That transforms our lives and brings us into a fellowship relationship with God. And that is that which our fellowship individually emerges from. You see, verse number 3 says, 
Then he brought this message so that we could understand our relationship as a church family and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. My fellowship with you emerges out of my fellowship with God and your fellowship with God. Because I have been saved and am in fellowship with God and you have been saved and you are in fellowship with God. On the basis of our individual personal salvations, we then join together in the fellowship of the saints to participate together in the ministry, in the work of God's mission. Our fellowship emerges from our individual fellowship with God. And you know what, how he characterizes this amazing, this amazing fellowship? This he introduces this purpose of the, the epistle of 1 John in chapter 1. The, the message of God's, God's holiness and our sinfulness that can be made into a fellowship because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And based on our individual fellowships with our, with our God, we can then have fellowship together. And John said, I declare this message so that you could have fellowship with us. So that we human beings could enter into this partnership and fellowship together. And then three times in the epistle of 1 John, you read the words, These things write we unto you. Here's how our fellowship is expressed. This, this is how your fellowship individually with God is expressed. And this becomes the life of the, the portrait, the image, the characterization of a fellowship of God's people in a church family. What are they? Number one, in chapter 1, verse 4, these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. God wants us to be a joyful people. Why? Because I am in union with my Creator. And that brings great joy to my experience. But it's also the characterization of our fellowship one with another and a church family of people who are personally related to one another because of our joint salvations, because of our commonality in the family of God. Then the church family becomes a body of People who are joyful in the experience of serving Jesus Christ as a team. Joy is a characteristic of the fellowship of God's people together. The more God's people interact, the more God's people do life together, the more God's people enjoy time spent together rowing the boat to get to the other side, the deeper their joy becomes their fellowship with one another. You know the members of a church that are the most joyful in their church experience are the ones that spend quality time together rowing boats together. And when they spend quality time with other members working in fellowship participation together to be able to advance the purpose of making Christ known then their experience takes on a portrayal of the fullness of joy. There's joy in serving God, especially when you're serving God together with someone of a like heart 
in a like spirit. To be able to enjoy the participation of God's people together. Working to get the boat to the other side of the lake. And then in chapter 2, verse number 1, let me get you just to turn a page. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. In your little blankets, i got the H there to kick off the little word. And I've got in my mind the word holy. Because the word holy means separated from sin. John said, I've written this book about fellowship. I've written this book about family dynamics. I've written this book about the inner workings of a church as a team working together to advance the goal of making Christ known. I've written to you this because I want you to be holy people. And the more integrated a person comes in the inner working of advancing the purpose of Jesus' church, the more they're challenged to live lives that reflect the character of Jesus Christ. They become holy. I I wrote this to you because I don't want you to be destroyed by sin. But you know, everyone messes up a time or two, eh? So he went on to say, and and if any man sin, we got an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. He's at the right hand of the Father, ready to plead our case. That's why chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we'll confess our sins, He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants us to be a holy people. And that holiness is precious. It's a part of the characterization of a church family. And then go over to chapter 5, verse 13. Here's the third time you run across this phrase as you read and study 1 John. The third time you come across the phrase, these things have I written unto you, is in chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. The third expression of our fellowship is the assurance. I know I'm saved. You know, it's, been, it's always been interesting to me, at least in my adult ministry, studying the Word of God, and preaching and teaching the Word of God, that I, I, I can't find anywhere in the Word of God where assurance of salvation is based upon the remembrance of a prayer prayed. But I find that the assurance of salvation is deeply rooted in the changed life of an individual. I didn't say the possession of salvation. I said the assurance that I possess salvation. You know how I know that I'm saved? Not because I can remember that 50 some odd years ago I got on my knees and prayed a prayer. I don't even remember the words that I prayed, but I prayed a prayer and expressed my desire for Jesus Christ to come into my life and save me. The fact I remember that is not what I base my assurance of salvation on. I base my assurance of salvation on the fact that God changed my life. And when I read 1 John, when it talks about the moral test of obedience and the social test of love and the doctrinal test of Christology, and then he says, I wrote all of this to you so that you could have assurance you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that God changed your life. You really are saved. The assurance of salvation is the earmark of a people deeply rooted together in a fellowship whereby they are advancing the cause of Christ as a team. They are joyful people. They are holy people. 
They're assured people because they've entered into the life of what God intends salvation to be. To know God is an intimate relationship whereby He is mine and I am His. And He impacts me every day of my life. And extending out from that is then the ability for me to enter into a partnership with others who have the same relationship with God. So that we, as a team, in partnership or fellowship one with another, can make Him known to the world around us. Well, that's the explanation from John's uh, first epistle of this involvement in eternal life that makes us a member of a team that is working together in unison. Now, let me show you the picture of that illustrated in Paul's life. Turn over to Galatians chapter number 2. Galatians chapter number 2. And see a simple picture from the life of the Apostle Paul and the spirit of teamwork for the purpose of making Christ known. Galatians chapter number 2 and in verse number 7. The Bible says, but contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. So Paul is talking about how that God, in, this, in his purpose to advance the message of Jesus Christ, Across the Jewish and Gentile world, God had Peter handpicked to be one who would take the gospel to predominantly Jewish areas. And God handpicked the Apostle Paul to be one who would take the gospel to primarily Gentile areas. And in verse number 9, he said of the leaders at the church in Jerusalem where they were where this, uh, this conference occurred that he's talking about. He said, when, Cephas, uh, when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go to the heathen and they unto the circumcision. You've heard the, the phrase, right hand of fellowship. That used to be a phrase that was used a lot in, uh, in the earlier days of my Christianity. At the point of church membership. When it, someone would join a church, they would have them come forward as we do. We'd have, have the members come and, and welcome them. We, we, I usually say, you know, if you're a member, come and welcome our new members. What used to be said that I was familiar with in my upbringing was come and extend to them the right hand of fellowship. Well, here's where that came from. Come up and reach out your right hand. They'll reach out their right hand. And you will enter into the right hand of partnership. You will enter into the right hand of fellowship. Historically, this was the church at Jerusalem extending a right hand of fellowship with Peter and a right hand of fellowship with Paul because they saw themselves as team players 
We're going to stay here in Jerusalem and evangelize Jerusalem. Peter, you go on out to other Jewish areas. Paul, you go out to the Gentile areas. We're going to all participate together in fellowship to make Christ known. And that fellowship involved a cooperation of different people together to be able to extend the work of the gospel to new areas. And then turn over to Philippians. Let me show you one other place. Philippians chapter 1. And we'll end with this because next Sunday morning, the last Sunday before our anniversary celebration, I'm going to speak uh, from Philippians chapter 1. But um, a little bit different than what I'm going to share with you right now. But I want you to see that this teamwork produces relationships. We saw the teamwork that was established between the leaders of one church with an apostle to the Jews and an apostle to the Gentiles all agreeing together they were going to make Christ known to the world. Here's one of those missionaries, the Apostle Paul. And Paul has started the church at Philippi. And in Philippians chapter 1, he's writing to this church, and he makes an interesting statement. Verse number 4 says, I'm always praying uh, for you, making requests with joy. Now notice this, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul recognized that that membership was a partnership in evangelism. It was a fellowship of participation to make Christ known. It revolved around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul wrote this letter ten years after he had started this church. And so when he says from the first day until now, he is writing to this church about the partnership that had existed for ten years. And for ten years there had been a, this great partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse number uh, 6 carries on and says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you, all because I have you in my heart for as much, much as both in my bonds when he's in jail and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are partakers of my grace. God is my record. How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And so for 10 years, they had enjoyed a partnership. It was a church family partnership together, but not just the church members in partnership together, that partnership extended from that church family to the missionary that was out planting new churches. And for ten years, there had been a partnership for the sake of making Christ known in our community of Philippi and to the world through our missionaries that we support, this fellowship this partnership, this relationship that binds our hearts together to make Christ known is the essence of church life. And I'm confident that God is going to continue the work that he began in you so many years ago. Still in Philippians, but just turn a page over to chapter 4, verse number 10. Chapter 4, verse 10, Paul said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye 
were also careful or full of care, but you lacked opportunity. This church had wanted to extend their partnership to Paul in, in viable ways, i.e. money, to support his ministry over and over again, but they didn't have the opportunity to do so. But after 10 years, an opportunity presented itself, and they took that opportunity to invest in Paul's missionary ministry. And Paul says that he's rejoicing that they have cared for him again. It had flourished again. And if you skip down to verse 14, verse 14, he says, Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. The Philippian church was a great missions-hearted church. When the opportunity availed itself, they got involved financially to support the Apostle Paul's ministry. And Paul called this relationship what the... Apostle John called it in 1 John 1. He called it a fellowship of people together, a partnership, a participation. Two fellows in a ship, both rowing in order to get the boat to the other side of the lake. What is a church? A church is a body of people who have owned the purpose of a church. And churches don't have but one purpose. We call it the Great Commission. It is the purpose of getting the gospel around the world. Because our purpose is for individuals to enter into a relationship with God whereby they know Him. That's eternal life. That's a personal, intimate, vibrant relationship with the Creator. And once they have entered into a relationship with the Creator whereby they know Him... And they have eternal life. And this relationship is intimate and powerful and vibrant. Then they enter into a relationship with other believers who have the same individual relationship with God. And they bind together in a participation, in a partnership, in a fellowship of people whose purpose is to make Him known in our community and around the world. And that relationship of people together is the essence of what church membership and church life is. And when a group of people adopt that purpose as their personal purpose for living, and they bind together in a dynamic union of membership in an organism that has life, and they take the commission of Jesus Christ as their goal and purpose for living, then... Their purpose is to know God personally and then to bind together to make Him known throughout the community and all around the world. And that partnership is illustrated by the great experience of the Apostle Paul who formed bodies of believers into church organisms where members were bound together in a vibrant partnership. And then that partnership was extended to the life of the missionary who took that purpose to make Christ known in our community and extended that to new geographic areas so that our purpose to make Christ known in our community and the world.
through the work of our missionaries. This is the essence of life that we call a New Testament church. Our purpose, to personally know God. And then to bind together as a team and make Him known throughout Northern Virginia and all over the world. That's our purpose. And when that purpose is owned by the people who sit in the building, the crowd of people become a powerful mechanism of world evangelism for the living Savior. And that's why we exist. That's why. 25 years ago, this church family was established. And that's why we adopted as our theme for our 25th anniversary, still. That's still our purpose. That's still our passion. On paper. But only in reality, if the current membership of CBC owns it in their personal lives and lives it out in their church experience. Then, what was in the past represented by still becomes our future represented by forward. And then we reach out into the future unchanged from the past with the same purpose for existence that Jesus Christ established for His local church.